Good afternoon, everyone. I was asked to come and share with you this afternoon, and I'm really happy to be able to do that. And I hope that your afternoon is pleasant and filled with uh, following the Lord. I'd like to begin our devotional time with a short word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come to you this afternoon, we approach you asking for the grace of your Holy Spirit to be present. As we look at your word, please teach us and challenge us and conform us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our Lord and our Savior, and it's through whom we pray these things. Amen. You know, one of the things that has been almost completely forgotten in the last few weeks with the outbreak of the coronavirus has been the presidential election and the candidacy process. And one of the features of presidential election is um, the debates that are often on television or on the internet. And one of the features of a debate is that you often see is where the candidates will attack the integrity of the other candidate, um, accusing them of saying one thing and then maybe saying something different later. And in fact, candidates literally score points if they can do that. And the one who is attacked cannot counter uh, effectively. Well, in a similar vein, uh, that's what we see happening, we're going to be talking about today, attacks on the, the the word of someone else. And in this case, as we're going to look in the book of 2 Corinthians, it's an attack on the word or the integrity of the word of the Apostle Paul and how he handles that. Our scripture this afternoon is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 15 to 22. It's a rather long section of scripture. I'm not going to read it right now, but we'll work our way through it uh, little by little. It's one thing to see candidates on a stage attacking each other's credibility. We almost expect that. But what happens when your word is attacked? How do you respond? Or what happens when you are actually involved in challenging the integrity of somebody else's word? How are we to handle this? How are we to respond biblically? And I think that we, we have that in this passage of Scripture. The passage of Scripture begins with verse 15. I just want to read that. It says, Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. When Paul says, because I was sure of this, he's referring to what Pastor Matt shared with us yesterday. He's referring to the fact that he is sure of his clear conscience as he has related to the Corinthian church. He's also sure of the fact that what he has spoken to them, the, the message, his word that he has given to the Corinthians, that that's been clear and it's been consistent. And so in those, sen- those two things, the coast is clear in a sense, and that he is sure of those things. So he says, because I was sure of that, I wanted to 
give, I wanted to come to you first. Now, evidently, there was a change in the Apostle Paul's plan, and he is then going to explain why that change of plans occurred. It's from that change of plans that apparently has been misinterpreted, and therefore, out of that misinterpretation, people in the Corinthian church are, or some of them at least, are questioning the integrity of the Apostle Paul's words to them. They are claiming that Paul is sending inconsistent messages to them, even accusing him of not being forthright, perhaps, with them. And so we see Paul responding to those apparent accusations in the next couple of verses, verses 16 to 18. Paul says, I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia. He's laying out, this is what my plan was. This is what I intended to do. Evidently, he had to change his plans, but he says, I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Again, that's what I was intending to do. And then Paul says, was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? In other words, was I flip-flopping? Was I uh, sending mixed messages? His implied answer is no, I was not doing that. Do I make plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? Again, no, that's not what he was doing. As surely as God is faithful, verse 18 Our word to you has not been yes and no. Some of the people apparently in the Corinthian church were accusing Paul of being inconsistent in what he was saying to them and attacking the integrity of his character. It's, It's difficult to piece together the interaction between Paul and the Corinthian church at this time and exactly what led up to these things happening. But the point is that apparently there was an attack on his on his word, and they were accusing him of saying two things at the same time, or saying that he was sending mixed messages. So Paul responds to those things. Um, he understands, Paul does, that this was uh, had the effect of discrediting Paul in their eyes which is serious enough. That's how we're going to take a personal attack on our word or the integrity of our word. Difficult enough. But what I would like us to see, and what I think really gets at the heart of this this issue for us today, is Paul also saw that the attempt to discredit his own word was also discrediting the message of Christ that Paul had brought. It was having the effect of discrediting the gospel message. And therefore, as Paul recognized what was happening, he felt the need to respond, at least in this section of this letter that we call 2 Corinthians. Now, Paul has a rather lengthy response, and we're not going to cover all of that. It's, it's going to come in the next few days as we go through other uh, verses in the rest of the chapter. 
But he does respond saying, no, I was not saying yes and no at the same time. I had a change of plans. And then he's going to elaborate on why that change of plans occurred. So Paul then in verses 19 to 22 reminds them that his message of the gospel, because remember he recognizes this as having an effect on the message of the gospel itself. And he says to them that his message of the gospel to them has always been consistent. That in Jesus Christ, all of God's promises find their yes in him. And all of God's word is fulfilled in Christ. So verses 19 to 22 read like this. For, Paul continues, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Sylvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. There is rich, rich theology in here that we're just not going to take time to cover this afternoon. We would be here for a long time. It's not that it's unimportant. It's just we're not going to go over it today. Verse 21, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. All of this is God's work. This is the message that Paul has consistently been giving to the church in Corinth. It's not easy to have your, the, your word challenged and the integrity of it. I remember a time when this happened to me. Uh, many years ago, I was taking seminary classes at a seminary in New England, and I would commute to the campus. And one day I was taking summer classes, and I commuted into the campus. And as I arrived on campus, I, I passed one intersection where uh, the campus policeman was um, talking to a worker lady who was preparing a beautiful bed of flowers. I share that detail because it comes into the story later. I passed through that intersection and uh, went to the parking lot where I was very early for my class and I wanted to listen to uh, some lectures for the class that were on CD or even maybe cassette tape. That really dates me. Um, and so I sat in my car uh, and uh, listened to those for the next 25, 30 minutes. After about 25 minutes, the policeman came by and parked right next to me. And he got out and he came over to the car and I said, hello. And he said, hi, you were going a little fast there, weren't you? And I was taken aback and I said, I, I don't know. I was... <laughs> I didn't know how to respond to that. And he went on to explain how he had seen me pass through a certain intersection with a stop sign and not stop. And I had not actually passed through that intersection at all. It's not even on my route to get into the campus or through the campus. And I was a little bit concerned, uh, wondering how to respond. 
And I just said, well, I'm sorry, with all due respect, I think you're getting me mixed up with someone else. And he just answered, no, no. And I said, well, I've been sitting here in my car for the last 25, 30 minutes listening to lectures. Uh, I've been here for a long time just sitting here. And he said, no, no. I said, well, when I drove in, you were, you were talking to the flower lady. You weren't even at the other intersection. And he said, no, no. And then he just kind of backed up and said, slow it down. And he left. And that kind of left me taken aback um, because my word was being questioned by an officer of the law. I thought about charging into the campus police station and filing a complaint um, I thought about uh, writing to the campus police and saying, this is what happened and so forth. But then uh, I did not do any of those things because uh, I recognized that uh, it wasn't really that big of a deal. He hadn't given me a ticket. And somewhat like um, umpires, uh, baseball umpires, they're always correct, even when they're wrong. So that's the way policemen are. No offense to any policemen out there. So I let that go. How do, how do you respond when your character is attacked, the, your integrity through your word is attacked? How should we respond when that happens or when it's challenged? Well, we know some responses that are more of an immediate knee-jerk type thing. You might get angry. That's not a response that the Lord wants from us. We might have some sort of a self-defense response as well, uh, where we are uh, just tempted to kind of lash out in a reactionary way. We might even, without realizing it, attempt to take revenge or I'll get back at that person for what they did to me since there's nothing that I can do to to rectify the situation. Well, all of these are possible responses, but they're all not what God's word would want for us to do. They're all contrary to his word. I think the key thing here in this passage, what Paul did, is that he recognized the attack on his word, the integrity of his word, was also affecting the message of the gospel. It was affecting his gospel witness. And I think that's the key question for us, even to ask, should I even respond to such a thing. There are cases when it might be, no, we don't necessarily have to respond because it's not really affecting the message of the gospel in any way. But then there may be cases like what Paul recognized here where it does. And I believe Paul sorted through the, the emotions of the personal attack to see that this misunderstanding was causing people to question the integrity of Christ and the gospel message. So what did he do? He worked in the form of this letter to clarify things. He actually followed what's written in Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17. I'm not going to read those, but there essentially the teaching of Jesus tells us what to do. And when we recognize there is a serious issue that needs to be addressed, and that is first go to that person. When you recognize they have something against you, talk to them. Try to clarify the issue. Secondly, if that doesn't work, take someone else with you and 
attempt the same thing. And if that doesn't work, you know, take it to the whole church. That's essentially the outline of how to respond to these things. Recognize, does it affect the message of the gospel or your gospel witness? If not, can you leave it alone? Well, let's flip it for just one minute. What if you are on the opposite end? What if you are tempted to misconstrue what someone else has said? Or beyond being tempted, what if you actually have challenged another person's word or you're in the midst of that? Whether you're right or wrong in doing that, again, Matthew 18 provides a blueprint for us on how to approach that conflict situation, follow that same approach and that procedure. Sometimes we get sucked into judging people's words inappropriately and wrongly, and we have to rely on the Holy Spirit to convict us of that. If that's such the case, I also exhort us all to cut off that kind of judgmental, uh, snap judgment kind of uh, approach before it gets a grip on us and grows, and it's so easy for that to happen. We are way too quick to judge others when we very often no, don't know the whole situation. Social scientists tell us that we most often judge others by their behavior, but we judge ourselves by our motivations. Big distinction. And we get off because we understand our own motivations. But grace says, before I jump to conclusions, let me prayerfully consider the whole situation. Before I jump into judging somebody else's motivations or what, or their words, are there other possibilities in this situation? And a good question to ask too, is it even necessary to address it? Is it really my business anyway? Those, all those questions have to be answered. So we see how Paul responded because he saw that it affected the gospel and he responded in a way that will be filled out in the next few verses. So challenge you to ask these questions and to respond according to the way God's word would have us respond.